right. Good morning, everybody. You guys can uh, finish up your conversations and find a seat. If you're listening to me right now, which, you know, it's always hard to tell, you can go to Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles. We're going to be in, in uh, Acts chapter 2 today. Welcome. Welcome. Hey, my name's Ronnie. I'm one of the pastors for Doxa. And the, thank you, Shane. And I, uh, my specific job role on staff is I, I direct Salt Company, which is our, our college ministry out here. Are there any Salt Company students here today? Guys. All right. We'll keep working on it as the years go on. All right. Hey, Acts chapter 2. Here's, here is here's kind of like the question that this part of the, the Bible and the story of Acts is going to raise. What are we all doing here anyways? Like here at church. Okay, like what is the church? Why? Like, okay, so I don't know if you're in this spot where you're, you're like literally asking that question because you're new and you haven't, you haven't been in a church in years or maybe ever before. And you're, you do kind of have this curiosity of what is this? What is it about? And you're kind of like picking up some pointers as you're watching what we do. Maybe you're in a spot where you, you're a Christian, you've been following Jesus for a while, and you're, you're actually very committed to him and, and love him and have a lot of great experiences in the church, but you're kind of going through the motions. And, and there's an element of that that's good, just like the Sunday morning rolls around and you've, you've formed this habit of just showing up, right? Like, but maybe you're going through the motions, and I want to like snap you out of that here this morning and be like, hey, let's think about what we're actually doing here, okay? Like, we're not just going through the motions. There's something bigger going on. Maybe church for you, you're in a season of life where you roll in here as just like a ball of stress every Sunday because you're trying to get your kids ready and you're sweating and you're thinking about like what you have to do when you get home and like there's, there's all these different things going on and it's like you're here but you have, there's this constant battle to like really be here, you know. It's going to be sweet for, for all of us regardless of where you're at and that to kind of ask this question of, of what are we doing and honestly for the book of Acts that we're studying through, okay, this whole, the whole rest of this year, it's, it's the story of really the beginning of the church and then the gospel of Jesus advancing to the ends of the earth through the church. So super important for us to actually at the beginning be like, so what is the church and what is going on here? And so what I want to do first, actually, before we get to verses 42 through 47, which is going to be our text today, is even just recap what was going on last week. And so we saw this crazy event called Pentecost, Okay. It was this event called, called Pentecost where we saw like this miraculous thing where God like comes in and it says he was like a wind and it says he was like fire and we got people speaking different languages and then it, it's kind of just this crazy moment, this crazy scene and then the apostle Peter, he gets up and he preaches this message, the first Christian sermon because he's preaching about Jesus. We see all these people become followers of Jesus and so it says there was 3,000 of them that were added to the Lord that day and so you kind of have this mass of people from all across the world, and they were actually, many of them, pilgrims from other cities. If you saw that in the text, it's like they came from these other countries, they showed up in Jerusalem thinking that they were going to worship God, and then guess what? They actually met God, right? Like, like who would have thought that that would have happened? And now they're kind of all here in Jerusalem, and the question is, well, well, what happens next, and, and what is it that just happened? And to understand, like, the, the real significance of what happened at Pentecost, you have to think about the whole story of the Bible, and so if you think back to the very beginning, Genesis chapters 1 through 3, here, here's one way that you could understand the story. There is a God, and he created humanity to, to enjoy relationship with him, to, to literally be in his presence. It talks about Adam and Eve walking in the Garden of Eden with the Lord. Like, people were created to know God, to know his presence, to, to be with him. That was Genesis 1 and 2. And there came this moment in Genesis 3 where humanity began to distrust God. They doubted that he was good, and they didn't want to be with him anymore. And so they, they joined this rebellion to really become their own gods. And so they turned their back on him. 
They turned their back on the presence of God and focused inwardly on themselves. And then we see that God actually banishes them from his presence out of the garden. Okay, so they go into exile. So the beginning of the story is about a God who created us to be in his presence, but then a humanity that sinned and is no longer in the presence of God. Now, all of us know in a human relationship what, what this is like, okay? So if you've ever been in a, in a conflict with somebody, here, here's what happens. So you have like these two parties, right? You have somebody that is sinned against or wrong. So you have like the offended party, and then you have the offender, the person that, that like did something wrong. You've, uh, to varying degrees, we all live in this. We've all been a part of this. And think about just the dynamics of what's going on here. So you have the person who's been offended. If they want relationship with the person that hurt them, there's this thing that has to happen because a debt has been created. Like sin comes into the world. Sin comes into a relationship. A wrong has been created and it hurts and it just, it just exists. You can't sweep it under the rug. Like it, it creates a separation. You guys know what I'm talking about. You feel that. There's a tension. There's a, there's a pain. Now, for a relationship to happen, there's this word, and it's forgiveness, right? The, the offending party has to be forgiven by the person that's been hurt, that's been wounded. And now, if you've ever forgiven somebody, you know that it's really, really hard, right? It's hard because it hurts. Why does it hurt? Have you ever thought about that? Why, is, why it's hard to forgive somebody? Why it's hard to, to do that because it hurts? It's because what's happening when you forgive somebody is that, that sin, that wrong that's kind of been created between the two of you, it, something has to happen with it. It can't just disappear. Either that person needs to pay for that by not having a relationship with you anymore, or you can forgive them, which means you take the cost of that pain. You take the cost of that sin upon yourself, and you say, rather than making you pay, I'm going to forgive you at cost to myself. And so you kind of like absorb it, okay? You absorb the pain, you absorb the sin. And so that's why some of us don't want to forgive is because it's going to hurt. We're going to say, I'm not going to make you pay. Instead, I'll pay. But then on the other side of that forgiveness, what happens? Reconciliation, relationship, two people being in the presence of one another again. So now what was happening at Pentecost? If the story of humanity is that God created us to be in relationship with him, but then because of our sin, we've been separated, what we see at Pentecost is the return of God's presence, the return of God to humanity, but not just because he swept sin under the rug. What was Jesus' uh, whole death about? What was Peter's message about? It's not because God swept sin under the rug, it's because of the sacrifice of Jesus, Listen to the end of the sermon again, verses 36 to 39. This is from last week's text. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So guys, in the story of the Bible, this is the moment when the Holy Spirit comes because the debt has been paid. God has forgiven humanity by absorbing sin on himself in Jesus Christ, and now the presence of God has returned. Humanity, once again, it feels the embrace of God. 
First John, this verse is going to come on the screen, kind of explains like this is the role of, of what the Holy Spirit of God does in our lives. He helps us to understand that relationship has been restored. Listen to this. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us. This is how we know that we are now once again in the presence of God, okay? Because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. We've seen that we had a sin problem. We've seen that there was a separation between us and God. We've seen that the only way for reconciliation to happen was for forgiveness to happen. And we've seen that Jesus is that forgiveness. He is the Savior of the world. Now, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, it was this moment in human history where God was saying, not only do I love you, but I've sent Jesus to forgive you so that we can now experience one another's presence again. You can experience my love. It's God returning with his presence, wrapping his arms around humanity. And what we have after that moment, okay, at the end of Acts chapter 2 is this early snapshot of what happens when the burning love of God falls down on a group of sinners, a group of people, and they become the church. It's this early snapshot of the church. Look back at verse 41. It says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So we have 3,000 souls sitting here reconciled back to God. And up until this point, guys, like, if you remember one of the first messages of the series, like, they had not been reading books about how to be the church. Like, Jesus ascended unto heaven and gave them a mission, and then he didn't also give them a textbook saying, this is what you're going to need to do. This is what it's going to be like to be with me. What he actually said is just wait for my presence to return and then you'll know. Wait for my presence and power to come back. So they're not reading textbooks about the church. They're waiting for his presence. And then when his presence comes, the church is freshly reconciled back to God, in love with God, brimming with vitality and joy, like a newly engaged bride-to-be. Look at verses 42 through 47 to see a picture of that. So this is what happens. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching into the fellowship, into the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and all thing, they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and di distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this is a picture of the church at the beginning. Let me now give you a picture of the church at the end. If we go all the way to the end of the Bible, here's this snapshot of what this early church would one day become. And this wraps all of us up into it. It's going to come up on the screen. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. This is a church, or this is a picture of the church as, as the bride of Christ. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, or crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So here's what's going to happen in this message, all right? We have this snapshot of the church at its infancy. We have this picture of what the church is going to be one day, this beautiful bride. And we have this moment where it says in verse 41 that 3,000 souls were, were baptized, initiated into the church. And that baptism, we saw baptisms here at Doxa just a couple weeks ago. Think of that baptism as like an engagement ring from Jesus. Saying, this is the promise that I've made to you. One day I'm going to make you a beautiful bride and we're going to be married together forever. So at the beginning, it's just kind of this burning hot relationship between Jesus and his church looking forward to this one day. But here's the thing. We all know in relationships that they tend to cool down over time, and that's where, where all of us kind of sit to some extent. As we see the church just kind of burning hot, coming out of, of the mouth of the Holy Spirit, but then we cool off, and my aim today is to show us just a fresh vision and a fresh passion for what it means to be the church, to be the bride of Christ that Jesus died to be with. So let's jump back in, and there's basically three things we're going to see. Here's the first one. Here's the first thing we see the church doing. We see them loving God passionately. This is the church, the people that love God passionately. Look back at verses 42 and 43. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Because here's just the thing about life. We, we pattern our lives to pursue the things that we love. Whatever we're passionate about, we naturally create patterns to go after those things. And that's what we actually see here at the beginning. So you see things about like reading the Bible and you see things about community. And, and those are just kind of things that might not be a surprise to you that are part of the church. I want to frame that up for you under the idea of this was them pursuing their passion. Pursuing their passion, which, which was God. And so first, the apostles' teaching. Right? Jesus had ascended up into heaven. He was no longer there on earth, but he had given these representatives, these delegates that had, that had been with him, that had seen his resurrection. And their job was to teach the early church who God was and how to follow him and how to pursue him with passion. So when, when they spoke, God spoke. That was their role, the apostles. And it was a unique role that eventually would lead to the rest of the New Testament of the Bible being written completing the Old Testament with the New, and then that's what brought about the Bible for us today. So the church, they're pursuing their passion by devoting themselves to teaching, and this is, this is the Bible. So to be devoted to the Bible is then to be devoted to Jesus. Next we see the, it says the fellowship. And this is, this is them not just loving God as individuals, but they were loving God as, as a community. So I've, I've used this metaphor of the church being like the bride of Christ, and maybe that's news to you, or maybe you've heard that before. And, and honestly, to a certain extent, that should make us all feel a little uncomfortable. So if you're a man, you're like, I, I don't know if, I, if pure joy to me is me imagining me and Jesus of Nazareth being married, like me and him. Or, or if you're a woman, you're like, maybe still, maybe it makes a little more sense, but it's still just kind of weird. It's like there's like one of him. and then all. It's because that's not what the metaphor is supposed to, to be. The metaphor of the church being the bride of Christ is, is us as a community being his bride, us as, as like a collective, not as individuals. And so they were devoted to figuring out what does it mean for us to love and be passionate about God as a community. It says they were devoted to the, the breaking of bread. 
Now, this is a reference to something that we do every other week here at Docs, and we'll do it today. It's where we, we break the bread and we dip it in, in the juice, and it's this symbol of Jesus' death on the cross for us. It's, we call it communion. And it's really this reenactment and reminder of Jesus' love for us. It's, it's the church saying, we're, we're passionate about God, and we want to we remember what he left us with, the promise that he made to us. The promise that our sins would be forgiven, that he would rise from the grave, and that one day he's going to come back for us and give us the real thing. So they're, they're devoted to that. They're pursuing him as their passion by remembering him through communion. And then it says the prayers. Prayer is how we pursue an ongoing intimacy with God, and it, it really just kind of gives us like the temperature for our relationship with him. So we pray our fears, we pray our hopes, we pray our joys, our sorrows, our thoughts, our questions. It's just this ongoing communication with God and our passion for him, it expresses ourself, itself in, in us talking to him, right? Like communicating with him. We hear about who he is from, from the apostles' teaching, from the Bible. And then we speak back to him in, in relationship through prayer. Guys, and pr- so much of prayer is like about longing. And so maybe, maybe you're in the room today and you, you long to be in a marriage relationship someday. Like you, you want to be a part of an earthly marriage, which is like one of the greatest gifts that God created. And so if you think about your, your longing for that, but one of the things we've already seen about what the church is is the church is, is the bride of Christ. Like we're, we're engaged now, but there's a wedding day coming. And that means, guys, that the, the church, it's like, a, it's like a Polaroid picture of a different reality coming. It's like a, it's a, it's a picture. It's, it's two-dimensional. It's good, and you can kind of look at it. That's what, that's what earthly, I think I said the church, that's what marriage is, okay? Earthly marriage is a Polaroid picture of the relationship of one day Jesus and his church. And so if you, if you long for that, that's a good desire and a good longing to have, but I just want you to know you're not missing out on the real thing that it points to, no matter what, if you're in the church. No matter what, like, like earthly marriage is, is two-dimensional, and it's, it's, you look at it, and it's good, and it's a great gift, but it's pointing to something that it, it resembles, but something that you can't even imagine, and you can't even describe. It's, it's, a, it's a dimension you haven't experienced. And in prayer, we, we express those longings. In prayer, we connect with, with God, who is, who is spiritual. That's how passion expresses itself. And then as they're devoted, we see in verse 43 that they walk around just totally in awe of God's presence. Awe is like this moment-by-moment awareness that we're experiencing God. That no matter what you're doing, the most significant thing that's happening in your life is that God is at work, that God knows you, and, and you're paying attention to him. It's like that feeling of when someone significant has like walked into the room and you just, you just realize it, right? You notice. And guys, in the church, like God has, he's walked into the room and he's here and he hasn't left and it's only going to get better. So I think the call for this first part, when we're asking the question of like, what are we, what are we doing here is the, the church is, is the people that are passionate about God. And guys, in, in our world today, especially our devotion to him has to be stronger than all the distractions that are out there. We live in a world of distractions. I mean, if you've been in church for a while, you'll notice that it's not like a super revolutionary list of things. Like for some reason, singing isn't on there. That'll be on in later in Acts. Like it's not comprehensive. It's just like, yeah, they devote, they're in the Bible, all these different things. Most churches do these things. But most churches aren't, aren't devoted like they were, 
Remember, this is at the very beginning. The love is so fresh. The reconciliation was so real. And awe comes upon them because they were devoted. This experience of awe, this experience of his, of his presence comes from their devotion. So here's the call, okay? Like, the call is for us to pay attention to God, right? To, to pay attention to what he's done. Because remember, like, this had just happened. Like, one verse previous to this, 3,000 of them had all just been brought into God's family. They had just heard this Jesus whom you crucified, and they were cut to the heart. They saw Jesus through the preaching about Jesus. They had an awareness of their sin and then an awareness of God's grace, and it all came together to this moment where they, where they, they couldn't ignore it. They were so locked into who God was. And so for us as the church, we're the people that we pattern our lives after pursuing this passion by trying to find ways to, to pay attention to God. And that's why it's so important that, like, that we show up every Sunday. Like, there's this relationship between us being disciplined and just like showing up but then fighting to have that fire, that passion inside of it all. So that's the first thing that we see, passion. Here's the next thing. They loved one another like family. Look at verse 44 through 45. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So first, we see that these people, remember, they were strangers. They were from all over the world, but they come together, and they're made a family by the blood of Jesus. Believing the gospel made all the other bonds that they had weaker, and they became a family. The, the actual like, word in there is this word koinonia. Maybe you've heard of it before. What koinonia means is that what we have in common in Jesus is stronger than everything else that we don't have in common. So, like, in this room, we all have different stories. We all bring different baggage to the table. We're from different ethnicities, different genders. We have different interests. We have different personalities. We're different ages. We have different political views. Like, those things are all good and fine and real and different. But in, in the family of God, in the church, in Koinonia, it's like we have everything in common because we have the most important and the strongest thing in common. And the blood of Jesus doesn't, like, crush our individuality and make us all the same. It actually just frees us from the tyranny of using our differences to attack each other and allows us to serve each other with the way that we're different. Like, it, it unites a group of individuals who are different around something that is far more important, far deeper, a deeper bond, the blood of Jesus. And don't, don't miss the fact that this, like, they didn't work towards this. It just happened to them, Right? Remember, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God, the open arms of God comes around them, forgives them all for their sins, and says, you are now family. Introduce yourselves to each other. Learn, learn each other's names. Like, that just happened. And now they're trying to figure out, well, what do families do? And, and there's another metaphor for, for the church, like the body of Christ, if you've heard of that. And it's, it's helpful for understanding this idea of, like, the group being more important than the individual. And, like, on your human body, if you stub your toe... Like, your toe is in serious trouble, and it hurts, but it alerts the rest of your body, right? Like, it alerts your central nervous system and your brain, and, like, so your, your brain starts freaking out and knows that there's pain, and then it puts your hands to work, and then it makes you bend over and fix your toe, and, like, the whole body gets involved to help with the toe. Now, that's what has happened to us. If, like, if you're a Christian, you have, like, a different part in the body, a different part in the family, but we care more about 
the group than we do about ourselves as individuals, and we help each other out. We meet each other's needs, and that's exactly what we see them doing here. People from all over the world were brought to Jerusalem so they could become the family of God, the bride of Christ, and now that they're there, they have to figure out how to be that family. Okay, so, so what do families do? Look back at verse 45. It says, they sold their possessions and belongings and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Here's the principle here. They took care of each other's needs. Because they were family, their instinct was to say, we belong to one another now. We have to take care of each other. We have to, to figure this out. And in this case, there was a lot of people that probably brought some things for the trip with them to Jerusalem, but they hadn't brought like their whole life savings and their whole house. Like they didn't, they didn't have anything. And so they're like, well, we're family now. I have, to, I have to take care of you. Well, how can I do that? I'm going to have to sell some of my stuff. Like, I'm going to have to make a personal sacrifice so that we as the family, as the whole group, can thrive. That's what they, that's what they did. They treated one another like family. And so the question for us is, like, what does that mean for, for us as, as doxa? And I think a couple ideas here. Like, one, people with needs in our own family should be taken care of somehow, some way. Right? And it's a radical picture here of them selling their, their possessions to do it. And honestly, that's happened to some degree, like, in our church already. But, like, if, if you have needs and you're in our church family, you need to let your connection group know. You need to let somebody know because we have an obligation, a responsibility to take care of one another and, and find a way to do that. There's people in the city of Madison that have great needs that are not a part of our family, whether it's a social need, a financial need, like, whatever kind of need it is. If they ever find their way into the family of Doxa, if they, if they repent and believe in the gospel and come in here, like it should be like the gates of heaven have been opened up to them. Becoming a part of the family of God means you are a part of the family and you get taken care of. And then one other just kind of idea is like for, for so many of us that, that came from families that were dysfunctional or broken or like you sit here and I, like every time I've said the word family, you just have have pain and disillusionment as a part of that word, the church is this, this moment, this opportunity, this community where we get to redeem what that word means together. With God as our Father, with the Holy Spirit leading us along, Jesus is like our older brother teaching us how this all works. Like People that haven't experienced healthy families should experience a healthy family when they come into the church. That's what they do. Now, the challenge to this is we have all been discipled by consumerism and capitalism to not live like this at all in the church, right? We view ourselves as, as individuals with the highest goal of getting as much stuff as we can and getting more stuff than other people. Now, there's some level where that's like a distortion of those ideas, but that's in our sinfulness, that's where it goes. Like, just give me as much, give me individual as much stuff as I can and make it be more than my neighbor. And that's just, that destroys what Jesus is, is trying to do here. And so in the church, we're being now taught and discipled by Jesus that there's nothing more important than the relationships we have in his kingdom, in his church, and with him. And so we all just need to return back to the gospel like them. Remember, this is fresh out from, from the Holy Spirit falling on them. And they're just instinctively doing this. They didn't read a book about this. They just went, Jesus has made us family. We've got to figure this out. We've got to realize what this means. In verse 39, they had heard, this promise is for you, individual, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
they realized that they shared things in common with these strangers deeper than they did with their own families, and the passion they had for Jesus united them. This is what the church is. Okay, and here's the last thing. Here's the last thing we notice. They, they lived their lives joyfully. They lived their lives joyfully. Look back at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking their bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And so we've seen kind of how they, they gathered together for like structured worship with the apostles teaching and taking communion and all those things. But now we see that like they weren't just like in church all the time. They were scattered throughout their community. But their faith wasn't compartmentalized. Like it broke out past Sunday. They were with each other outside of this gathering. They were walking through life together in awe of God's presence, even in just like the ordinary mundane stuff of life, like eating their food. It says they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And this, this uh, kind of everyday living in God's presence, it wasn't hidden from the rest of the world, but it actually was on display for their city to see. And we see in verse 47 that the joy that they had together, it became contagious for the people around them. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they had a joy that couldn't be ignored. It became contagious. It says that they were receiving their food with, with generous hearts. The, the word there that uh, Luke used was aphelatote. <laughs> it's on there. Here's what, here's what it means in English. Sincerity and simplicity. And so it was a, it was a joy that was sincere, like it was genuine. It was, it was non-weird. Like it was... At first, people watched them, and like as they were like praising God for the food, and they're like, "This is so. It's so genuine. It's so sincere. It's so. It's there's something strange about it, but it's not like awkward. It's like kind of what is this? Okay, so that was one part of it. But then it says they received it with glad hearts too, and the word for that is agalilesasis. Okay, and that word means exuberant exultation, wild joy, ecstatic delight. Okay. So you have this combination of the, the world is watching these people live like this, and they're like, they have a, a wild, non-weird joy. Like, like what is that? What, what is it that they are seeing? And it says it's because they were praising God. They were, they were receiving their food in such a way that they knew it wasn't just food, but a gift from God's hand. A gift from the God that loved them, and they, God had made them a family, and they were experiencing it together. And so there's, there's kind of living their everyday lives in awe of being in God's presence and awe of the fact that God had made them family and awe of the gospel. And so what we're starting to see, guys, is at the beginning of Acts, that, that key verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus said to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, right? He sends us out on this mission. We're going to see different like elements of what it means to be on the mission of God together as we study the book. The one I want to just put out in front of you here today is that the mission of God, it's like, it's like God's mission to woo humanity back to himself, to, to woo us back, for, for people to be able to look into the church as the people that are now experiencing the presence of God and see the joy that we have, and for that joy to break out and to be contagious, to see the glory of Christ because of the way that we're looking at Christ. This is what God wants to do. The world needs to see us looking at God in that way, devotion, awe, wild joy, wild non-weird joy like like it's it's wild because it's out of this world but it's non-weird because it's it's actually based in something that has really happened 
That's what the world needs to see. We need to learn to receive everything as a gift from God's hands like they did. And people will start to see that in our world. So back to our beginning question, right? Like, what are we doing here anyway? Like, what is it, what is it that we're doing here in the church? Guys, we're, we're waiting and working towards our, our wedding day. Like, that's, that's who we are and, and what, what we're up to. Acts 2, 42 through 47 gives us this picture of, like, of who we are when we're really thrilled by God and his presence. And it just makes me wonder, like, what if the most important thing about our church isn't the things that we're doing, but just how we feel about God, how we see him, how we enjoy him together, how clear our view of is of that day, like this day where, where everything right now is building up to the moment where we're going to walk down the aisle. So if you picture that moment at a wedding where you're, the bride is walking down towards the groom, like this is, this is a picture of the church for you guys. The bride is walking down and everybody is just kind of looking because she's, she's locking eyes with the groom and they, there's just this magnetic love between them, right? You see her, her passion for him and his passion for her. That's the church. We're looking at God. We're the people that are passionate about Jesus. We're the people that experience him now in some measure. That's why we're, we're experiencing him through this book and through prayer now. But there's coming a day where we're going to see him face to face. And so the, the bride is walking down the aisle with passion. But we're also the people that have this, this radical love for one another, this radical unity. And if you ever notice at a wedding that when, when the bride walks down the aisle, like she, she's looking her best, right? She's dressed in white. She's spotless. Like you're, it's like the whole thing of like this is, this is the best that she'll ever look. She's complete. She's whole. There's something about her relationship with this, this groom that has changed her, that has made her better. And guys, that's the church. Like, like we're, we're one, we're united. Like all these individual different parts, we've been brought together to be made into this, this beautiful bride. And we're, we're a messy work in progress right now, but there's coming a day. Our radical love for one another is how the rest of the world sees like this beautiful bride. And then the last part, the contagious joy. I mean, that's, that's like why there's other people at the wedding, right? Is there's these, these people just watching the bride and groom walk down the aisle and it can't be ignored. As the bride walks towards the groom, like everybody stands up and looks. And that's what the world should be doing as we walk towards Jesus. So let's look at, at just like the whole, the whole picture again at the end. If you look at, at Revelation 21, 1 through 8, it'll come up on the screen. This is the day that, that we're walking towards. We're engaged now, but we're going to be married one day. Let's read it again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Guys, so this is the day that's coming for us. A beautiful bride in the presence of God, like un unmediated. What was started on Pentecost, the, the arms of God coming back around humanity is going to one day be completed when his church walks towards him. Because the reason that we don't experience that right now, like the reason that we're still here 
and we have like sound coming through speakers and we have physical Bibles and we're, we're not like living in pure joy and pure bliss is because Jesus wants more people to be a part of his bride. God wants more people to be there. That's the whole thing of this section at, like ends and it says, and, and daily the Lord was adding more and more people to their number, to the church. So this day has not come yet because God wants to add to the number. And then look at this invitation from him in verse 5 through 8. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Um, sometimes when I've done weddings, I'll, I'll even use this passage to point to the fact that when the bride and the groom stand up there at the end together, it's a beautiful moment of love, right? And, and, but it's, it's an exclusive love, which means it's also a moment of judgment. Like, the fact that they're getting married now means nobody else can marry either the two of them. Like, all the people in the audience, if they, if they thought they had a chance, they don't anymore because the deal is about to be sealed. Right? Beautiful love, but then this, this also this moment of judgment of, like, it, it's too late. Here they are. And, guys, there's coming a day where it's, it's, the world is going to end in a beautiful wedding between heaven and earth. Did you see that? The presence of God coming together with, with the beautiful bride of, of humanity. And until that day, there's an opportunity for everybody, whoever, whoever, do you see it said, whoever is thirsty, like whoever has longings that this world has not satisfied, whoever has, has the courage to turn away from their sin and give it to Jesus and to be forgiven and to be reconciled, like whoever wants, this is, this is the gospel, guys, whoever wants God can have him. Whoever wants Jesus can have him. The problem is not that the presence of God isn't available. It's that we don't want the presence of God, right? But there's coming, coming a day where there will be a judgment. All the people that didn't want this, that didn't want to be a part of the bride, that didn't want the wedding, will not receive it. And until that day, Jesus says, we are his witnesses. We are his bride. We are his church. Looking forward at the glory of Jesus and asking people to come with us. So let's ask our city to come. Let's pray.